الحمد لله الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونؤمن به ونتوكل عليه ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا ومن سيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلله فلا هادي له ونشهد ان لا اله الا الله ونشهد ان سيدنا وحبيبنا ومولانا محمدا عبده ورسوله اما بعد Respected elders and dear brothers, in the sixth year after Hijrah, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, in the company of 1,500 sahaba, departed from Madinatul Munawwara with the intention of performing Umrah. And with this conviction that they will be allowed to enter into Makkatul Mukarramah and perform Tawaf of Baytullah. The sahaba radiallahu ta'ala were naturally very excited, full of hope, the moment had arrived six years after they were kicked out from Makkah to Mukarramah to return to their homeland. And with that hope and that excitement and that conviction within the heart, they traveled with Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam in the direction of Makkah to Mukarramah. While en route to Makkah, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam receives information that the Quraysh have vowed to prevent Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam from entering into Makkah to Mukarramah. In fact, they have mobilized a force under the command of Khalid ibn al-Walid and the force is prepared to engage with them in battle should they wish to enter Makkah to Mukarramah. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam decided to encamp and set up base at a place called Hudaybiyah, approximately 24 kilometers from Makkah to Mukarramah. In the moment Rasulullah arrived, negotiations started, emissaries and negotiators, envoys were sent from one camp to the other, back and forth, to and fro, but no solution was found to the issue. Rasulullah made it clearly known to them that I have come for Umrah. And the Arabs have never prevented anyone from entering Makkah to Mukarramah should they wish to perform Umrah. 
this is the first time in history that a group who wish to perform Umrah are prevented from entering Makkatul Mukarramah. Nevertheless, after a few days had passed, they were camped there for a number of days. Their supplies had depleted. There was a shortage of food, shortage of water. The Sahaba were naturally becoming frustrated as well. The Quraysh sent an official emissary on their behalf by the name of Suhail ibn Amr. Suhail ibn Amr at the later stage, at a much later stage, he embraces Islam and he becomes one of the most illustrious Sahaba of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. After much discussions take place between Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and the negotiator Suhail ibn Amr, they finally decide on putting pen to paper and they finally decide to record a treaty and a truce between the Muslims and the non-Muslims, the enemy of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. The terms and conditions of the treaty were heavily in favor of the Quraysh. From the very beginning, Sahaba radiallahu ta'ala majma'een were very much disappointed at the way in which the discussion was going. But they remained silent. Rasul sallallahu alayhi wa was heading the discussions and they did not protest before the Nabi of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa One of the very unfair terms of the truce was that if a man or any person from Makkah to Mukarramah goes to Medina to Munawwara, it is the responsibility of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa to have him return to Makkah. But should a person from Medina to Munawwara travel towards Makkah to Mukarramah and decide to join the enemy, we will not return him to Medina to Munawwara and to the Muslims. Rasul sallallahu alayhi wa agreed. They are about to sign the truce when a sahabi by the name of Abu Jandal radiallahu ta'ala young man who is he? this is no coincidence this is the divine plan of Allah he is the son of Suhail Suhail is the chief negotiator on behalf of the enemy his son Abu Jandal embraced Islam while Rasulullah sallallahu was in Makkah to Mukarramah but he was one of those who was detained in Makkah by his own parents and he became a target of persecution and hostility throughout the five years five years have passed he remained in shackles and he remained in chains he heard that the Muslims have arrived they are 24 kilometers away from Makkah to Mukarramah and he escaped he arrived at that critical point he arrives in his shackles and his, in his chains and he shouts out of excitement to the believers and he's convinced that he will be welcomed into the Muslim army and Suhail, the father of Abu Jandal he looks at Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam he says this is the first person whom you are going to return to us Rasul sallallahu alayhi wa sallam was not a man to plead before the enemy he was not a man to beg from the enemy. But on this occasion, when he saw the situation, he understood the emotions of the Sahaba. He realized the excitement in the voice of Abu Jandal. Rasulullah pleaded with Suhail, Suhail, please let me have him. 
This one. So he said, if you keep him, we walk away. The truth falls apart. No treaty in place. Rasulullah begs with Suhail, let me have Abu Jandal. Suhail says, you will not have him. Rasulullah says, but we have not yet signed the truth. You will not have him. He will remain in his shackles. We will drag him back to Makkah to Mukarramah. Emotions are running wild. Umar radiallahu ta'ala finds, and in general all the Sahaba, they find the terms and conditions very intolerable. Umar radiallahu ta'ala walks up to Suhail, or he walks up to Abu Jandal. He stands at his side. He says, Abu Jandal, I cannot do what I would love to do right now. I'm in Ihram, and Rasul sallallahu alayhi wa sallam has not allowed me to draw my weapon. But you draw my weapon. Take my weapon and do what you have to do. Abu Jandal, it's against his father. He politely declines the offer of Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu. And then Abu Jandal, he turns to the Muslims. And Rasul sallallahu alayhi wa sallam is standing before him. He says, what a pity. What a pity, O Muslims. Am I going to be surrendered to the disbelievers? Allah, don't we feel like that right now? We feel so helpless. There's so much we want to do right now. The emotions are spiraling out of control. When we see the suffering, the hostility, what was the emotional state of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam at that time? When Abu Jandal is pleading with the Nabi of Allah, and the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam could have eliminated that small party, that small convoy that was before him. He had 1,500 Sahaba with him. Rasul sallallahu alayhi wa sallam looked at Abu Jandal. He says, oh Abu Jandal, tasbir, wahtasir, persevere, put your hopes in Allah. Inna Allah ja'ilun laka farajan wa makhraja. Allah will grant you relief. Allah will rescue you. Allah will create an opening. Hang in there, O Abu Jandal. Umar radiallahu ta'ala can no longer contain his emotions. He goes to Abu Bakr radiallahu ta'ala He protests. O Abu Bakr, alayhi rasulullah, alayhi bi rasulillahi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, is Muhammad not the messenger of Allah? Bala, of course he is. O Alasna bin Muslimin, O Abu Bakr, are we not Muslims? Are we not on the right path? Bala, of course we are, O Umar. Mushrikeen? Are they not the mushrikeen? Are they not on the path of destruction? Of course they are, O Umar. فَلِمَادَ فَعَلَانَ نُعْطِي هَذِهِ الدَّنِيَّ فِي دِينِنَا Then, O Abu Bakr, why are we accepting this humiliation? Why are we accepting defeat? Abu Bakr, radiallahu ta'ala, consoles Umar. Umar, that is Rasulullah. Trust his decision. Umar says, of course, I believe, Ashhadu annahu Rasulullah. But Umar radiallahu ta'ala cannot contain his emotion. He goes directly to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, asks the Rasul of Allah the same three questions, and Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam responds to him the way he responded to Abu Bakr. Rasul sallallahu alayhi wa sallam announces, shave your heads, remove your ihram, we're returning back to Medina to Munawwarah. Sahaba radiallahu ta'ala majma'een They could not believe what had just happened They did not move Rasul Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam instructed them on three occasions 
Not a single Sahabi moved. They could not believe what had just happened. How did we descend to this point of defeat? Eventually, when they came to terms with the situation, they complied with the commandment of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. They shaved their heads, they removed the ihram, and the, bird, the long journey back to Medina to Munawwara commences. Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu, when his emotions had subsided, he felt ashamed and he felt embarrassed for protesting. So he said, I avoided Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And I rode at a distance from Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. While we are traveling back to Medina to Munawwara, I hear someone calling out, Aina Umar, Ya Umar, Aina Umar, Umar, where are you? Umar, where are you? The Rasul sallallahu alayhi wa sallam has sent for you. Umar says, I come, I approach the Nabi of Allah, I start riding beside the Nabi of Allah, Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa looks at me He smiles, he says Oh Umar, Allah has revealed a chapter of the Quran to me The opening verse of which is Inna fatahna laka mubina O Muhammad, O Muslims We have granted you a manifest and a clear victory A clear victory? A manifest victory? Sahaba considered that as a defeat one Sahabi came to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, Ya Rasulullah, a fathun huwa? Is it really a triumph, a victory? Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam says, E wallah. Yes, by Allah, it is a manifest victory that we experience at Hudaybiyah. There were many positive outcomes. There were many positive victories and triumphs that the Sahaba and Muslims experienced on that occasion which were not immediately apparent which became apparent later on time does not permit us to go into that positive outcomes that they had experienced from that event of Hudaybiyah but the point and the overarching lesson is that very often in what seems as defeat there lies victory in what seems as defeat there lies triumph in what seems as loss, there lies gain. In what seems as failure, there lies success. And that is what we want to focus on. What are the positive outcomes of the war that is taking place in that region, in Gaza? What are the times that Allah has allowed us to enjoy? What are the victories that we have experienced and we witness unfolding before our very eyes? The first positive outcome, the first triumph, the first victory that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had allowed us to witness during the war that is taking place in the land of Palestine is the triumph of alternative media. The victory in the psychological war, the battle for the mind. Brothers, there is a second war that is fought. A war that is fought off the battlefield, off the battleground. And that is the media war. Since time immemorial, mainstream media dominated the psychological arena. Mainstream media dominated the narrative and thereby dominating and controlling the minds of the masses. What we are witnessing now is a mass uprising. A mass uprising of distrust in mainstream media. Walillahi alhamd. And that is an important victory and triumph for the believers. 
because mainstream media always made the oppressor look like the victim and always made the victim look like the oppressor. But due to alternative media, due to social media, we all can see that alternative media has triumphed over mainstream media. We have witnessed how major mainstream media outlets were forced to retract certain statements, were forced to apologize for their lies and for the inaccurate reporting. And the media war, the psychological war, is a very, very important battle that we must be part of and we must conquer. Rasulullah himself attached importance to the psychological warfare. He appointed, in fact, he instructed Hassan bin Thabit radiallahu ta'ala anhu. Hassan bin Thabit radiallahu ta'ala anhu was not one who could take part in the physical battle, in the physical war. Rasulullah identified a potential within him. He had a skill. He was a master in eloquence, in poetry, in his statements and his words. So Rasulullah said to him, O oh Hassan, Strike them, attack them, attack them through your eloquence, attack them through your poetry, the psychological war. Why? Subhanallah, as if these words were spoken in the present day which we live. Rasulullah said to Hattan, why you must take them on in the psychological war? أَشَدُّ عَلَيْهَا مِنْ أَشَدُّ عَلَيْهَا مِنْ رَشْتٍ بِالنَّبْلِ Because your words, your statements, your reporting, your poetry cause them more pain than the pain caused to them through our weapons. And that's the reality. We see that. Last week sometime, a former Israeli Prime Minister, and I quote, he said this, he says, we are losing public opinion in Europe. They are very concerned, very much concerned of public opinion. They have acknowledged defeat in the psychological war. So he says that we are losing public opinion in Europe. The world is turning against us. The Prime Minister himself is applying pressure on social media companies to restrict, to block, and to remove pro-Palestinian content. They have murdered, they have murdered 50 journalists so far. Can you see how the psychological war is something that they are very concerned about? And they felt that on this occasion as well, they will emerge triumphant and victorious in the psychological war, but that was not the case. So that's the first time we celebrate the first positive outcome and that is the triumph and the victory in the psychological war. The second positive outcome is exposure of their weakness and incapabilities. The Israeli army is ranked number four in the world. I don't know about you but I feel or I think it must be four from the bottom of the list. What a disgrace. What a shame. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has shown us in the past and Allah shows us presently that you may be ranked number one in the world but when you encounter a force, 
as small as the force may be, as ill-equipped as the force may be, when you encounter a force that enjoys divine help from Allah, that ranking means nothing. Absolutely nothing. And wallahi brothers, the nusrah and the divine help of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is with the mujahideen. It's with the mujahideen. And it will remain with them. No matter where you are ranked in terms of your military capabilities. The Israelis have dropped approximately 20,000 tons of bombs on Gaza. Which we can confidently say is, is the most impoverished region of the world right now. 20,000 bombs. They destroyed 40,000 buildings. They have damaged 220,000 more. Yet, they have not achieved a single one of their objectives. Your weakness has been exposed. Your incapability has been exposed. And that is something we celebrate. That is a triumph and a positive outcome that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has allowed us to witness. They have lost on all fronts. They have lost the strategic war, the psychological war, the media war, and even the ground war. The example is that of the Quraysh. The Quraysh, they were ranked number one in the region. And they marched out towards Badr. And Allah speaks of the manner in which they had marched. Allah says, وَلَا تَكُونُوا كَالَّذِينَ خَرَجُوا مِن دِيَارِهِمْ بَطَرًا وَرِئَاءَ النَّاسِ Do not be like those of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa the Quraysh and the pagans when they marched towards Badr. They went out and they marched arrogantly, showing to the world and showing to the people of the region that they are the number one rank force in the region. Don't be like them. They even went out with the singing women and singers, performers, to motivate them to fight. That's exactly what's happening now. For those of you who are following the news, what happened during the course of the week? The Israeli army hired singers, female singers and performers, to perform for the soldiers to motivate them to fight. Is that where your motivation comes from? Your motivation comes from immoral, immoral shameless performers? Our motivation. And the Mujahideen are motivated by the promises of Allah. So their weakness, their incapabilities have been exposed for all to see. Another positive outcome. The only war that they call a war, that they have won, is the war against the babies and the children. That's the only war that they have won. And they boast about it. The example is like that of Fir'aun. 4,000 plus children have been murdered, have been killed by the fourth-ranked military might in the world. Fir'aun, when he reached that point of frustration, that alone, that alone signifies the weakness. That alone tells you that they have reached a point of frustration. And that's what Fir'aun did. When he reached the point of frustration and he saw that public opinion turned against him, his own turned against him. 70,000 magicians who were on his side turned against him. Public opinion turned against him. He became so frustrated. What did he say? We will kill the children. We will murder them. They are worse than Fir'aun. Why? Fir'aun said we will kill the boys, we will leave the girls. They are killing the children indiscriminately. And he boasted. After making this proclamation of murdering them, 
what did he say? We will completely dominate them. You call this dominance? Your weakness has been exposed to the world to see. The third, there are many positive outcomes and triumphs that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has allowed us to enjoy. The third is the revival of the spirit of jihad. Jihad, brothers, is a fundamental institution of our deen. But this fundamental institution and the topic of jihad has remained dormant for a very, very long time. And in fact, among certain circles within our community, there seems to be an aversion towards jihad. There seems to be an aversion towards the topic of jihad. In the time of Rasulullah wasallam, a sahabi by the name of Salama bin Nufayl, he came to Rasulullah, he sat with Rasulullah wasallam. he says, O oh, Rasul of Allah, people are no longer interested in the war horses. They're no longer investing in war horses and they have laid down their weapons. Why? Islam has grown, Muslims have increased and they have said, La Jihad. There's no longer a need for Jihad. The days of Jihad have ended. The era of Jihad has ended. Don't speak of it. Rasul sallallahu alayhi wa sallam turned to him, giving him his full attention and Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam says, they have spoken a lie. They have spoken a lie. And then Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said that there will be a group from my ummah who will remain engaged in jihad to uphold the truth, to defend the truth, to eliminate oppression. They will remain in my ummah until the time of Qiyamah. They will remain in this ummah. And then subhanallah, what's so fascinating about this hadith? This hadith has nothing to do with the land of Sham. Whatever we are witnessing right now is happening in the land of Sham. The hadith had nothing to do with the land of Sham. The Sahabi did not ask about Sham. But at the end, Rasulullah says, Islam And the real and the original abode of the believers will be the land of Sham. That is the mashhad, that is the arena, that's where it is going to happen. The final the final battle, which is known as Al-Malhamatul Kubra, will take place in that region. However, we must understand that active participation in jihad requires correct and proper context. We cannot irresponsibly implement the institution of jihad. We cannot carelessly implement the institution of jihad without proper context and without due consideration to the consequences that follow. I will read through a few more of the triumphs that Allah has allowed us to enjoy and victories that we have witnessed and positive outcomes of the current war that is, info that is unfolding before us. The dismantling of the process of normalization of ties. Few weeks before the war, the Prime Minister was boasting about the progress that they had made in the process that will facilitate the normalization of ties between Saudi Arabia and Israel. Alhamdulillah, Alhamdulillah. Through this war, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has allowed that process to be dismantled. The economy has suffered extensively. According to Israeli economists, 
On the first day of the war alone, they lost $220 million. They won only. Alhamdulillah, they love dunya, they love money. They would rather lose life than lose money. And we have seen that they have suffered extensively in that regard. And lastly, the triumph of Iman over Kufr. This is the greatest victory of all. When we see those people in that part of the world enduring what they have to endure, it is because of the level of Iman that they enjoy. I will conclude on this one incident that was brought to our attention yesterday and it shows the level of Iman that these people have. May Allah grant them steadfastness, may Allah grant them patience, may Allah grant them victory over the enemy. There was one of the brothers in Gaza and he writes a question, he sends a question to one of the mashayikh, one of the ulama in the Arab world. He says, oh Shaykh, I'm here in Gaza, I have lost everything, my home has been destroyed, and I do not even have any cooking utensils or any gas that I may use to prepare the food. However, I came across a demolished building. I do not know who the owner is of the building, but I have found on that building there is an outlet or a gas pipe from which I can acquire some gas and use the gas to cook food, not for myself, for my children who are starving. Ya yeah, Sheikh, look at the level of Iman. He says, Ya yeah, Sheikh, what is the fatwa? If I use this gas that does not belong to me, can I make use of it and then repay the person the moment I have the opportunity to do so? That is Iman. And he says, if I do use the gas, but I am martyred before I can repay or locate the original owner, will my shahada and martyrdom be a means of my forgiveness for doing what I had done? The triumph of Iman over Kufr. The victory of Iman over Kufr. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to allow every one of us to be inspired by the victories and the positive outcomes that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has allowed us to enjoy. Wa akhiru da'wana an alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen.